Hi, I'm Dan Gibson. I'm on staff here with Chi Alpha at CSU, and welcome to the Chi Alpha Winter Break Podcast, where we'll be talking about knowledge of the holy as we're reading through it together as a community. On this week's podcast, Nate and Brent sit down and talk about free will. And then I also get to sit down with Eric Unruh as he talks about having a personal walk with Jesus. All right. Well, here we are again, Brent, yeah. a week later. Yeah. I just love these clothes. Haven't changed out of them the whole time. We just happen to wear the same outfit. Yeah. <laughs> um, but we are here talking again about Tozer's book here, next six chapters. And Brent, as you were reading this most recently, um, what what's uh, just kind of jumped out at you for this section? Yeah. Of course, some more really um, deep theological topics. The chapter seven talks about the eternality of God, the fact that he's eternal. And I, I wanted to kind of explore that a little bit. What does it mean uh, that Tozer, he, he has a certain view of how God relates to time uh, and yeah. he calls it the eternal now. And I want to explore wh- what does it mean or how does God relate to time? What 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 are the implications of that? Because I, I did a little more research and I was looking at how there really are almost two views of time related to God. Either God created time when he created the world and the universe mm-hmm. as well as space and matter. Mm-hmm. And it's something that is not uh, true of him. He's outside of it, which is sort of Tozer's perspective. Or Time is something that God has always, in a sense, been in. He's in time. He's experienced a succession of uh, events and a duration, if you will. So I, I just wanted to kind of pose that uh, yeah. and, and just think about that for a moment. What it, what does that yeah. mean? Um, how right. do you see that? Yeah, it's a great question, bro. Um, this one is, of course, we're we're keeping this fairly short and sweet, but uh, we're we're talking about a very profound concept that does have a lot of impact on a lot of other concepts of God. But but broadly, just so our listeners understand kind of the picture here, the the vast majority of Christian theologians of of theology is based upon the idea of God creating time of God being transcendent of time the two most modern or most common concepts of God are either Calvinism or Arminianism Calvin being this idea that God kind of predestined he had his hand in everything and how it went and how it worked yeah. uh, Arminian the opposite saying that there is free will that God is kind of working with us but but we kind of dictate a lot of things our own but both of those work from the idea that God is transcendent of time yeah. but uh, there is uh, another group of, of theologians who do work from that. They're, they would, to be fair, more the minority in the world, but there are uh, more thoughts kind of working from that idea that is God in time. And that it changes our idea of time. Uh, God ceases, I mean, time starts to change more than God's, you know, the idea of what time is. Uh, and I, I was reading an article by Scientific America this last year that was saying they're, they are looking at throwing out, in some ways, a lot of modern thoughts on time are actually starting to throw out some of 
of even Einstein's ideas of, of time as a dimension of reality and kind of playing with other ideas. So, huh. so that can affect it. What, in what way do you think that uh, affects this conversation depending on how we... Yeah, so, so one question I, I thought about, and this might be helpful for um, those that are viewing or listening to this podcast. Yeah. Uh, if God knows everything I'm going to do, Mm, he can yeah. see my future. Yeah. Uh, it, to me, it's future. It hasn't happened yet. But to him, he can look at, if he's outside of time, he can see it all. Right. Right. Do I really have free will? Because if he sees exactly what I'm going to do tomorrow at 10 o'clock, right. there's no other alternative to that outcome. It's, it's predetermined. It's Got set. It. Yeah, yeah. How do, how do I navigate that uh, in my own right. walk? You know, how do, do I really have a say in things or is it all predetermined by God? Yeah. So that's, let's talk about a deeply profound question that uh, we're not going to answer necessarily here because the smartest people in Christendom over 2,000 years have debated this and wrestled with this. <laughs> Absolutely. So yes. here's the answer, everybody. <laughs> yeah. here, here we go. But here's, here's how I think of it. Whether you fall more on the Calvinist side, Armenian side, or disconnect God from the idea of classic understanding of time. In any case, we have this idea that we have a choice to make today. Mm-hmm. We have what, whatever is the ultimate reality that transcends our experience. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, it doesn't really change how we live in our experience mm-hmm. today. So I think that's important to always remember that when we get into these questions that we can get so heady in mm. this debate that we lose yeah. the idea of what God is telling us to do today. And that really doesn't change no matter where we're at. And yeah. so I think it's important to always ground ourselves in that. That's good. The Great Commission, yeah. the, to pursue after a relationship with God. You know, does God know I was going to do that or not? Like those things are important, but they, they're only as important as they go. Now, within that, I think there's, there's a couple of things to understand. Um, one, I think there's probably going to be a sense of both andness. Uh, to this at the end of the day, that we're going to come to this place of seeing uh, it's not A or B, but it was there was a transcendent C that kind of fit both yeah. of these ideas together in a mm-hmm. way we just can't comprehend in our own Absolutely. mind. Yeah. And Tozer actually talks about yeah. even the attributes of God. There's probably attributes of God that, that we, we don't, don't even, know that we don't even get. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think yeah. we're gonna we're probably falling into that a little yeah. bit. Yeah. You know, we're we're like uh-huh. looking we're like the Flatlander analogy of <laughs> physics back in the day, like trying to understand a three dimensional reality. Right. Right. We we just can't get our minds exactly around this. But but the way I think of it, it doesn't. Uh, the ideas of time don't restrict um, free will necessarily just because God foreknows. So the way the Armenian would argue this is right now you guys are watching a predetermined video. This has been this has happened. That is by the time you guys watch this, it's developed. But there's four people in the background here that you guys don't see that be- before you watch this video know exactly what happened. Yeah, they know exactly what I said. They know what you said. That does not mean that they are. Make our puppeteers to us right now. Now, if we screw something up, they could do some video editing and they can maybe, you know, clean some things up or we could, they could tell us, hey, we need to try that again. It's not a perfect analogy, but it does highlight the idea that just because there is foreknowledge of something doesn't dictate um, intervention. And I think that's where the Calvinist and Armenian is going to most wrestle is to think that God's highest will is a scripted outline of things to happen. And there certainly is that happening. Sure. God desires the meta narrative of scripture yeah. of redemption yes. and restoration. Absolutely. Um, 
But the Arminian would argue that one of the highest desires of God is the relationship that comes through choice. And so that one supersedes lower desires of God um, that keeps him from actually intervening, even though it's like, hey, I would rather you make this choice, but I don't desire you to make that choice over giving you the freedom to choose that. So that's those are a couple thoughts of yeah. how that can play out. If God is transcendent of time, experiencing cause and effect, uh, if time is simply a, a combination of, of of physical atoms, cause and effect kind of thing that doesn't really have a, a time idea to it, then then God then the question is altogether moot because yeah. God is just kind of experiencing our progression with us. Absolutely. And the way the way that I kind of work through it or see it is God, um, whether he's outside of time or in time, it seems in scripture, he chooses to interact with our reality of time. Um, you know, he says things in scripture, like perhaps I I was reading uh, another book, uh, that talked about how it's the divine, perhaps it's this word in, in Hebrew. He's literally, God says, perhaps if, uh, Israel does this certain thing, then they'll they'll come back to me, yeah. and or sometimes he says if, right. if you will do this, then this will happen. But if you do this, then this other consequence will happen. So, for those statements to be meaningful, as in God doesn't really know the outcome, I think it means it, at some level whether he's however he relates to time, he's chosen to relate to yes. time with us. Yes, it makes the the relationship more meaningful that way. Absolutely, and he doesn't know. He's chosen maybe to limit that knowledge of, of what we'll do. Yeah, there's, I, in fact, I think it's Tozer, and I've read this book so long ago, I can't remember if it was this book. I think it's a different one. He actually, Tozer actually gives the analogy of sort of the, the Calvin Armenian concept as like a ship with the captain taking the ship to a certain port. That's the Calvin side of this conversation. Like, hey, this is where I'm going. doesn't matter what yeah. you do in the ship. I'm taking the ship here. But whether you want to go hang out on the sun deck or whether you want to go in the cafeteria or whether you want to just chill in your cabin, whatever you're doing within that ship, there's a certain level of, of freedom within a restricted bounds yeah. uh, that God yeah. gives us. Um, and in that sense, that would be kind of the way that Tozer tries to combine in his mind that idea that God creates time but works within us, giving us freedom, but Mm -hmm. he's kind of in that ship, moving the ship along uh, towards that redemptive day of his return and, and restoration of all things. But, but yeah, it's, it's an interesting debate. You know, if, if God is outside of time, then, then it's, it's an interesting idea. Either case, the idea, I think the thing that's so attractive to the idea of God being the time not existing in its classic sense is just this idea that at the end of the day, it feels far more to us like he's in the fight with us. And I think any in any of these situations, wherever you fall in the camp or whatever yeah. you emphasize in your in your thinking, I think that is important to remember. That God is in scripture with us. He's in the fight with us. He's coming to earth. Mm-hmm. And he even talks about that with like the idea that God is unchangeable. Yeah. Which yeah. is sort of a different I chapter. To, yeah, I wanted to look at that. Yeah. Chapter nine, I believe. But he kind of goes into that idea like God God never changes, which kind of leaves us to this idea of like, well, does does my prayer change anything? Right. Does my life yeah. have any impact yeah. on his? Mm-hmm. Like, what, do you, what are you thinking there, Brent? Yeah, so Tozer says very uh, 
almost like absolutely that God does not change. That we see a couple verses in Scripture in Hebrews it says that uh, He is the same. Christ is the same yes, uh, yesterday, today, and forever. Um, you know that in Micah, God says about Himself that He is He who does not change. Um, in Samuel, He says uh, that God is not a God who would repent. Um, yet we see in other verses that actually in that chapter in Samuel, the v- a very few verses later, he says that he repents that he made Saul king. Yeah. So yeah. it's kind of interesting. You have to, yeah. you have to kind of work with scripture yeah. and look at the whole. I yeah. think that's, that's something that I've been learning more recently is like, we can't just take one text, pull it out, right. say, this is true. Absolutely. We need to right. look at the uh, scripture in context as right. an integrated whole, that truth is never going to contradict itself, right. that somehow it's all going to harmonize, even yeah. if we can't quite see that. And yeah. so I look at ways that God does in fact change. For instance, one really good example is his emotions. God is a being who, according to scripture, experiences human feelings, yeah. um, which is called anthropopathic uh, attribute. You know, it's, it's like this theological term for meaning the deity or God feels. Now, feeling implies duration. Right. And so, uh, in fact, God says about his wrath that it's but for a moment, yet his love is everlasting. So we see that that his wrath is not eternal. (laughs) Right. If he's eternal and he's outside of time, he is not angry with us forever. But it says it's for for a moment, yet his love is actually is forever. So that's that's something interesting I've found and and maybe uh, a realm to explore a little more. Yeah. So. Just to kind of sum, close up here for today, but I think the thing that's important to remember when we come to God is, at one level, He is unchangeable in the sense of His character, right? Like He He would never not Absolutely. be loving, exactly. Right? Yes. Because uh, you know the the, the yes. writers of Scripture say like He is love. He is that is the essence of where love comes from, its origin, its its concept. So in one hand the character of God is unchangeable. And I think that's where Tozer is really honing in for us to remember, like, hey, you may feel love or not feel love, or you may feel anger. And for you, that changes you. It changes the core of who you are and how you see the world. But to God, he is, as you say, he is experiencing things. He's, you know, if if we take literal scripture, scripture literally, as as I would, you know, he changes his mind about what he's going to do to yeah. Israel with Moses, yeah. any number of things with Sodom and Gomorrah. He, he became incarnate. He became man. He experienced <laughs> you know, separation. Incredible from, change. Yeah. Yes, for the Father, right? <laughs> yeah. My, you know, one of the most haunting words of Scripture is, "My God, yeah. my God, why have you forsaken right, me?" Like right. the relationship has changed. Yes. Yes. Within God, and that's one of the most beautiful things about God. I think is that the unchangeable God. Yes. Changed. Wow. Come on. For us. Wow. That yeah. that is that. Now, if anything's going to fill you with a sense of awe and wonder, to, to meditate on that idea, I yeah. think is yeah. is important, because while he doesn't change in his ethos, yeah. he experiences time with us. He experiences our reality in its progression, and he reacts and responds in that because he's not a static concept. Right. Like exactly. And I think that's important. You know, to understand he's a person. Right. And it. It, as Tozer says, if he's infinite in all these other attributes, he's also infinitely personal. Yes. And to be a person means uh, he must be able to work with us at some level, being able to change his plans, as you mentioned, being able to alter what he's going to do. But yet at the same time, having that assurance, his yeah. character is unchanging. That's really where I draw comfort. 
Yeah. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That I can't do anything to take his love away from me. That he, exactly. He, he wow. Is that. Incredible. So guys, just remember today, you have a God who changed for you because of his unchanging love for us. And uh, let that fill you with peace and joy wherever you're at, whatever you're going through today. All right. So today I'm sitting down with Eric Unruh. Eric, it's so great to have you. Hey, I'm just happy to be here, man. Got yeah. some free coffee. This is great. Fantastic. What kind of coffee is that? I don't know. It was just handed to me um, Fant- by the director or someone. The director. Film, the AV guy. Wow. Yeah. Sweet. But it's black, no cream, no sugar, just how I like it. Fantastic. So today, Eric, um, we're going to hear a little bit of your story. Um, but I'd like to hear, and I think some of the students like to hear, like, how did you, you know, just briefly share, like, how did you come to be a part of Chi Alpha? Uh, would you mind sharing that with us? Yeah. Um, yeah, I kind of, well, I grew up in the church, but um, was very rebellious and, and selfish and just as a kid, honestly, just wanted to live my own life and kept doing that through college. But uh, I just met a guy who, a few guys, but one in particular, uh, Eric Sanquist, just prayed for my broken foot one day and then invited me into a small group. We both happened to work at uh, a dining center on campus. Uh, we just knew each other as the guy who stole the other person's name tag. Um, he claims it was me. I don't know. <clears throat> I guess we'll never find out. But uh, joined his small group and uh, ended up, yeah, receiving salvation and repentance, like for real, that summer. And um, just fell in love with Jesus and his presence and his word and the community. That's awesome. So I would have been, that would have been right before my junior year okay, in college. Okay, cool. Yeah. That's awesome. So one of the things... One of the convictions that we have uh, in in Chi Alpha is we love missions. And one of the things that we like to challenge students in is to give a year to missions and pray about a lifetime. And so um, you took that challenge to heart and you decided, you know what, I'm going to give at least a year to missions. And so you ended up going to Russia. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah. Um, You know, everyone talked about give a year, pray about a lifetime. At least I think they did. The, the funny thing is I never really thought about it that way. Um, all I knew was my brother Brent here is moving back to Russia, and I've just heard him like share how life-changing this experience was for the past 30 minutes. This was, was on a missions night um, in 2014. So I would have been a senior. And literally in that conversation, I was just like, yeah, you're my brother, and I don't have anything else going on. So um, I actually started with two years and then I called my mom and told her about it. And she said, why don't you start with one? And, um, (laughs) and so I guess somehow she heard about the motto, give a year, pray about a lifetime. And yeah. And she's like, yeah, start with one year and we'll see how that goes. And then it turned into three. Wow. So that's cool. So man, I would love to hear just maybe some, some challenges that you had of going and being in Russia, obviously, you're dealing with another language. You're dealing with another culture. What are some things that when you got there, you're like, wow, this is this is different? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I was, I was grateful. I took a Russian class at CSU before I left, so I knew a little bit of the language. Uh, I studied sociology, so I understood that culture shock would be real. Um, and, but in a lot of ways, there's no way you can really prepare for something like that. I mean, your whole world just changing so dramatically. Um, so I, I would say 
the hardest thing for me was um, just how long things took. You know, everyone tells you when you go into missions, like you expect to just be so fruitful and, and see revival take place simply because you're there, yeah. right? Uh, which it happens, like praise God. Um, but most situations, that is not how it happens. It's, it's, it's slow. You got to learn the language. Uh, you got to learn the culture. You got to learn how to serve and love and not say, hey, look at me. I got all the answers, right? But, yeah. but say, hey, how can I integrate the kingdom of God into this culture without like bringing my American culture right. with it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So that takes a lot of patience. And I think that was probably the hardest part was being patient and trusting God with, with the fruit. Yeah, man. Yeah. I can't, I can't imagine. I know one of the things that we love here in Chi Alpha is we like to get rowdy. Yeah. We like to have fun and just, I don't know, not take ourselves too seriously. Totally. You know, enjoy the Lord and enjoy his presence. Did you find that that was the same case as you go and, you know, you're meeting all your Russian friends and right. were they down to like, man, let's get let's get rowdy. Yeah, well, when I first showed up there, I was with Josh Nicholas. Another so, rowdy boy. Another rowdy boy. Yeah. The, probably one of the king of rowdiness here at CSU. Um, and so that helped. Yeah. And what I found is that having the joy of the Lord is so much easier when you're with your brothers. Um, Austin came and visited for a week cause he had spent a semester there uh, a year before I moved there. Austin Mancy. Austin Mancy. And that was a rowdy. That was a rowdy week. <laughs> um, and and I just remember that being so refreshing. And I think short-term mission trips are s- w- such an incredibly powerful aspect of missions because of that refreshment that comes to those host missionaries. Yeah. Uh, people who know your culture, people that know the inside jokes, the nuances of popular culture. Yeah. Um, but rowdiness in Russia is interesting because, um, especially in the church, they're very conservative. And so rowdiness and these things that we consider okay and like, like kind of necessary for young men to loosen up in a lot of ways. Um, honestly, it's kind of frowned upon in some ways. I remember, um, one, one summer when I lived in Krasnodar, I'd been there for a few months and, um, this was in the midst of some of the people on our team being asked to leave the country by the government. And, um, Todd Jackson was there from UTSA Chi Alpha and he is a rowdy boy. I mean, he's crazy. If you know him at all, he, he gets insane and they're sleeping on my couch for a week. And I have this one roommate who's, who grew up in the church and he's pretty conservative. This is a Russian roommate, Russian roommate. Yeah. He speaks English, which was great. I love that. Um, and he was a great guy. Like I, um, got to like actually end up standing with him in his wedding and all this other stuff. So that was cool. But he was very conservative. And I remember we're walking down the street on Krasnaya, the main street <clears throat> in Russia, which is what you do. You just walk the main street for fun. Um, so I can that's how idea. rowdy they get. That's how rowdy they get. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's what you do for fun is just walk. Um, <laughs> but uh, Todd's just like, hey, man, um, you think I, it would be cool if I just throw my Frisbee right here at Zhenya's back? I was like, yeah, sure. Like knowing, like, okay, it's probably not a good idea, but I need to have some fun too. I need to loosen up, right? And uh, he throws it at his back, and, and Zhenya, my roommate, turns around, and he's like, hey, man, you can't just have fun all the time, you know? 
<laughs> and, and I'm just like, okay. Like, I expected that. And it was good for Todd because Todd realized, like, okay, like, I need to learn how to respect the culture here. But it was good for Genya because Genya was like, okay, we can't just take ourselves so seriously. And I think that was honestly one of the bigger struggles as well in Russia was how do I not take myself so seriously? And how do I learn just how to have fun, you yeah. know? Um, whether it's communicating fun and joy through the language, like Russians, very deep language. If you don't speak like this, you are not a real man, right? But when in America, when we're really excited, we get so high-pitched, and it's yeah. like, oh, this is so fun, right? Um, <laughs> so you know what I'm saying? Yes, so like yes. even those small aspects of it, like how do I express my joy in a different language? Mm-hmm. It's tough because by the time I formulate the words – it's like the emotion's already gone, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So one of the another thing I've 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 noticed or having conversations with friends like you or other people who have spent time overseas is just how critical it is to I don't just be with the Lord. Um and yeah. and so I like you I'd like you to share maybe what were some critical moments for you as you're serving? Because yep. I think also us, also as Christians, I think sometimes we feel like if we're doing the work, that that's like enough, right? And we're we're gonna like just be energized by the Spirit, which the Spirit can do. Um, but if we're not careful, if we just think that doing the work is enough, then we're deceiving ourselves that's right. and like drawing strength from from the Spirit of God, and so. Yeah, how did you balance, like, I'm doing the work of the Lord, but also, like, just abiding and being yeah. with Jesus? Did you have challenges with that? Yeah, you know, I think we can um, get it wrong so much in the church, and we need to learn how to do the work of God with joy. Because actually, if you read Deuteronomy, God says, okay, here's all these commands, but if you don't do them with joy, then these things, these horrible things will happen to you. And so you're like, wait, like, isn't doing them just enough, right? But now I have to have joy because joy reflects our motivation. That yeah. It's out of love, not duty, right? Um, and so I think enjoying the presence of God, you know, it's interesting. <clears throat> so after all our team left, I had two weeks where I really struggled to even make time with God. Um, I had to learn, okay, I'm, you know, there's no one here to tell me what to do, but I'm hosting a team actually um, from uh, a university in in America, and I'm responsible for these people. And so I had I didn't spend any time abiding in the mornings, and I became really irritable, really impatient. Um, we were helping some people move, and there was a lamp that broke, and I remember I was f- just so angry at something that happened that I took the lamp out to the dumpster and like smashed it on the ground and stomped on it and then like <laughs> threw it into the dumpster just to get my anger out and my frustration. And I look over and this babushka, this old lady's just staring at me, shaking her head. But I, I had like this built up rage because I was so frustrated that I wasn't getting that time that I needed with the Lord. And so it just built on itself. Like I'm not getting time with God. I'm impatient. And now I'm frustrated because I'm not getting that time because I know what would fix my frustration and my impatience, but I'm yeah. not getting it. Yeah. And so after that, that those short two weeks, 
I made this decision. I said, okay, I'm not going to let anything get in the way between my time with God. And I'm going to live as relationally with people as I can. And so sometimes I wouldn't eat unless I had plans to eat with someone. I wouldn't. I would only go to the coffee shops that I knew the people working. So my favorite coffee shop was closed in the evenings, and there's this random coffee shop in a bank, <coughs> spared bank, right? It's a great Russian bank, good interest rates if anyone's looking for um, <laughs> overseas bank accounts. Okay. Um, yeah, and um, but the coffee was horrible. But they were the only ones open at that time with someone who I knew he was a friend of a friend as a barista. He, he just opened it. And so I was hanging out there and, um, I don't even remember what I was reading, but I remember just thinking about how the joy of the Lord is my strength and being so overwhelmed with the presence of God in that stupid little like couch that was a coffee shop in a bank. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And I walked home to this meeting that we had every week with the youth pastor of the local church um, to help, you know, make, learn, figure out together how to make disciples in this church. And um, just like ecstatic, overwhelmed with the joy of the Lord in his presence. Yeah, it was amazing. I haven't experienced anything like it since, honestly. Um, But I get home and everyone's crying and mourning because the pastor's son had just been ran over by a tram. And like, I'm like, my first question is, God, why are you doing this to me? Because your spirit is the one that's like (laughs) giving me this joy and this like ecstasy almost, right? And I'm like, okay, mourn with those who mourn. I'm unable to mourn with these people right now. He he wasn't fatal, right? He recovered in the hospital, but there were, there was just this, mood in the room that I was unable to meet because the God had met me in such a unique and interesting way. Wow. Um, and so we, we canceled the meeting. We just spent some time in prayer cause I was literally unable to relate to them and like console them and, and have that grief with them yeah. because of that joy that just overwhelmed me. Wow. Um, but what that taught me is that God can meet us anywhere, anytime. doesn't matter the ambiance of the room, um, like God just is waiting to meet us like Dang. that, you yeah. know, and he, yeah. and he does and he, he will. Mm-hmm. And whatever that looks like, the spirit wants to manifest himself in so many different ways and, and just commune with us. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So that was, that was amazing. Like I think of that and I, I still don't understand it. Yeah. Um, but God really taught me a lot in that situation. That's awesome, Eric. One other thing I've heard, I've heard you share, is there was a moment when you were in Russia, yourself like you didn't have any brothers right. to lean on, and um, Ileana last week she talked about how like sisterhood, brotherhood, community is like so vital in our walk with the Lord, but you didn't yeah. have that yeah. for a season, and so what, what was it like? I forget how long it was. It was a couple months, right? Yeah, it was almost like five or six months. Okay, yeah, five or six months. So would you share, like, what role, how did your walk with the Lord change? How did it look differently as you're literally living in another country all by yourself, learning the language, trying to serve Jesus, trying to disciple students all by yourself? Yeah. 
Yeah. Um. So that story in the bank, that was when it was just me. Okay. Right. And I'm living with the guy who speaks English, but this different roommate, his walk with God was not great. And he didn't really have a sense of responsibility. He didn't have a desire to make disciples alongside me as a brother. Um, <clears throat> so God did give me a brother and he did give me someone to disciple eventually. Uh, but they didn't speak English. <laughs> so that was tough. <laughs> so, so it's not going to be like my brothers here. Yeah. Right. We share a culture. We share the same jokes. We know how, like there's no barriers. Like I just right. explained yeah. to that joy and that rowdiness. Um, so I, that, I had to make the presence of God a real thing in my life. I had to heed the promise where Jesus says, behold, I'm with you always. And so I remember, um, I remember just something that was prophesied over me before I left for Russia was, uh, it was spoken to me personally in private. And then a week later, um, by Brent Kaiser when, when we were praying before I left and it was, um, sow in tears and reap with joy, right? And it's in the Psalms. And at first I thought that was like, okay, we're, I'm crying because this is so hard. But what I realized is, no, we're crying in sorrow because we're identifying with the grief of God over the brokenness in the world. And so when I wanted to receive and commune with the joy of the Lord, I also had to receive and commune with his sorrow and his grief. Dang. And so that's a real thing too. And sometimes I think that scares us. Like I still, sometimes it's, it feels like too much for me. But I remember um, one time just sitting on my couch in my room, a great Ikea couch, all the furniture in rushes from Ikea. Um, I hate Ikea. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I would just put my arm around the couch and this was Jesus sitting right next to me. And I would just talk to him like he was my brother, like he was my friend. He says, no longer do I call you servants, but I call you friends, right? Uh, and so I had to, like, internalize these promises. And what I found is that they're real and they're true. <laughs> you That's know? awesome. Um, and he was there with me. And, he, yeah. and we would commune and he would speak to me. Um, and I think that season was, in large part, God preparing me for the future, teaching me how to really just commune with him. There wasn't a whole lot of fruit um, externally, but um, inside, internally, I mean, I, I grew close to God. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, Eric, thank you so much for sharing Absolutely. your stories today. Man, Thanks for having me. you're a great brother who, um, yeah, just loves the Lord. We see that in you. Kyle feels blessed to have you be a part of our community. So thanks again. That's it for today's episode. Be sure to tune in next week.